I think this is really cool. What do you guys think about this? So I think, first of all, de- delete Facebook like any other rational human being should do. We'll throw that out yeah. there. Oh, well, there are, num- there, there are a number <laughs> There's of... There's only a um, billion people on there. There are a number of interesting side thoughts from your little description there. Yeah. One of which is that the next time you say the phrase, be creative about content, I'm going to push you into a well. <laughs> <laughs> So when you're creating content and you're coming up with ideas, how would you describe that? I would never create content. I might write a book, for example. Well, that's creating content, you idiot. I mean, that's content creation, yeah. No, not really. Why do you need a generic term for it? It's stupid. (laughs) Think of it this way, nerd boy. Creating content is a... Writing a book is a subclass of creating content. (laughs) Stop using the word content. It's a meaningless marketing word. (laughs) Of all the places I thought we would land in this discussion, to be honest. (laughs) You just don't like people using the word content. That's what's what's, what's happening here. That's absolutely correct. Um, But (laughs) I do do think it's interesting. Um, Content. Content creation. (laughs) um, This is great content uh, working on. When I'm creating content, for example. (laughs) I just want to watch it. You are such an unutterable oaf. Honestly, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why this bothers you so much. Anyway, so when I'm uh, when I'm in the zone, um, making content, what I often do is I write. If I'm building a training course, for example, I'll write things down onto index cards because then I can reorder them in different ways, right? And this seems like a suboptimal way of interacting with the content that I've yes. been presented with. <laughs> Would you agree that that's great content? I'd agree that it was great (laughs) Hello listeners and welcome to Bad Voltage Season 3 Episode 13, the lucky episode, I, I imagine. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm joined by Jonathan Edward, James Bacon the third, and Stuart Langridge. Hooray! How's the third? How's everyone doing so today? I need to have a word with my mum. <laughs> He's the one, the only John O. Bacon. There is only one, hopefully. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, about old tech, new tech. We're going to talk about whether... Um, taking time away from computers and screens and stuff like that with writing things down is a good thing. And also whether technology is coming out to make that easier. And it's actually going to so, quite... Can we find a way of taking time away from screens by giving you a different screen to use instead? <laughs> it's basically Etch-A-Sketch as a service. We're also going to talk about how amazing content is. There's going to be lots of great content in this show. Shut there up. There will be content creation. And uh, with this content, we're going to cross the line of super credibility. <laughs> I am still Ooh, have so not heard that one in a while. Disappointed. We may even become about the Wikipedia thing with that. What's that? <laughs> um, where where we were sat in a, a pub in Edinburgh, the three of right. us, Matt Garrett, someone else, and we edited your Jono Wikipedia page to say that you were a super credibility consultant. <laughs> <laughs> 
I forgot about this. And, and, and then <laughs> someone noticed it and immediately reverted it, and we were all very sad your, about your it. massively transformational purpose is now known. <laughs> was this uh, was this Matthew Garrett? Was that was he the ringleader for this particular exercise? I, I, Sounds I, like something he would do. So it does sound like something sure. he would do. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember when Lug Radio sponsored the Guadic Party in Birmingham? And uh, we were all in the bar hanging out. And Matthew, I went to the bar to buy him a drink. I came back and someone told told me, laughing, it might have been you, Ak, that he'd eBayed my back. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. <laughs> and I looked it on eBay and there's a low quality 320 by 200 phone picture of my back on eBay. I'd forgotten about that. And it's like that. $1.99. Oh, man. Uh... I... I'd utterly forgotten that you did that. Yeah, that that's fantastic. And now. <laughs> All right. So what have we got that's amusing, Mr. Language? Well, the first one, and um, I feel like this is one which deserves a comment from um, the connoisseur third of the show, Jeremy. Apparently, yes. Taco Bell now make their own wine. I, I read legitimately don't know what to do with this. It says uh, Taco Bell Canada said in a release the duo of Jalapeno Noir, which is the wine, and the new toasted cheesy chalupa. <laughs> it's irres- the word tantalizing. Is it's, it's irresistible, apparently, and the rich taste and crunchy texture of the beloved toasty cheesy chalupa complements <laughs> notes of wild strawberry, cherry, and beetroot in this silky limited edition red wine. <laughs> Cannot make that up. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm slightly disappointed this. to discover that this is only actually in Canada, but Jeremy, you live well close to Canada. I feel like some kind of cross-border COVID-defying trip to obtain a bottle I of do. This. I was going to say, unfortunately <laughs> for me, it says uh, this wine will not be sold in the United States, even though the same chalupa will roll out in November, <laughs> but I feel like it is possible I will somehow covertly sneak into Canada, go to Taco <laughs> Bell, get this wine, come back, and it will all have been worth it. Who's shocked, by the way, that the the jalapeno noir fine red wine will not be sold in the United States, but the toasted cheesy <laughs> chalupa will, in fact, be rolled out across the nation? I, I have two questions about the toasted cheesy chalupa. First of all, I don't know what a chalupa is. It's a small. Uh, it's like a small dog. <laughs> the look on the look on his face. So, what, I, what actually is it? It's, it's a, a taco. It's a different type of taco. Oh, right, okay, fine. And secondly, I don't understand how it's simultaneously a new product and beloved, which is how they described (laughs) it. My favorite part about this was I learned Kellogg sold a boxed red wine called House Wine. uh, You were supposed to pair it with Cheez-It snacks earlier this year. The product was in response to customer demand that often mixed the two. (laughs) Oh... My God! What? This- <laughs> wow! I I read a thing, right? Apparently, wine, wine and cheese don't actually go together. The seventies completely lied to us. <laughs> You're not really? actually supposed. To, uh, apparently, the, I mean, I thought it seemed like a big pitch given the existence of the country of France. But yeah. you know, apparently, you're not supposed to have wine and cheese together. But. Different piece of news, right? Um, US, yeah. Custom, US Customs and Border Protection seized um, 
a bunch of counterfeit Apple AirPods that were being uh, brought into the country, into Nevada. This is beautiful. This and, is beautiful. And tweeted about them and saying, yeah, these aren't Apple. Look how proud we are that we see all these counterfeit AirPods. And then it turns out, yeah, they're not AirPods, but they're completely legitimate OnePlus wireless earphones. <laughs> they're not, they, they weren't even slightly intended to be a knockoff. <laughs> no, my, my favorite part about this one is OnePlus simply replied on Twitter, hey, give those back. <laughs> really? So, whoever runs the OnePlus social media, kudos to you. Yeah, yeah gold star for you. That, that's 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 really very good. good. They are really good. Like, you could you could imagine that poor like customs and border protection person being so excited to tell the boss about this amazing discovery, <laughs> and then it gets re- revealed that no, this is just the thing that's I odd mean, is the front of the box in giant letters says OnePlus Buds. Yeah, right. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that when the new iPhone comes out, um, they'll bust a big shipment of them for being knockoff Pixel Sixes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the first rule of counterfeiting is you got to put the brand that you're trying to imitate on the box, right? <laughs> Isn't that how it's supposed to work? I don't uh, know. I'm, I'm not uh, brilliant at this. Um, can I'm, I? Uh, I want to share something very quickly. Oh, just, it's not it. funny, but I just thought it was quite cool. That just yep. jumped into my head. Um, so uh, we've talked about the PlayStation Five recently, which is going to be coming out in November. You have talked about that, yes. Uh, <laughs> there's been this ongoing war between Microsoft and PlayStation. Um, so uh, what I read on Bloomberg yesterday that um, PlayStation is struggling to make enough of them because of COVID and uh, you know getting the components uh, for the PS5s. But they've made quite a few of these and they're worried about how long it's going to take to ship them from China to the US. And I read yesterday that apparently they're, hi- they're, they're renting 60 747 jets from Delta and they're going to be shipping them over air freight and some guy on Reddit went and figured it out, and that's three million PlayStation Fives are going to be put in airplanes and shipped over to the US. I just thought that was kind of a cool little statistic. You know, yeah, that's, that's a quite cool. Yeah, pretty very serious situation. Uh, you know, they, just so you know, US border customs and border protection. These are they're, not knockoff they're, Xboxes. They're fake Xbox One, X One, Xbox, or whatever <laughs> they're called. <laughs> right, one on one, X X X One. Very easy branding. Anyway, what's next? And then the final. Um, thing which is both funny and rather lovely i thought um have you seen this thing uh, that dave grohl's doing with nandy bushel yes this is yeah. great so um for those, those of you who haven't seen it nandy bushel is a 10 year old girl from ipswich in the uk and she's a pretty good drummer i mean yeah I, she's I, great I, let's go over to our drumming correspondent john o'bacon i think she's a good drummer what do you think she is, in fact, a great drummer. The other young drummer on YouTube is uh, this guy called Avery something. It's amazing how good some of these kids are. So, yeah, yeah. very good drummer. So, um, I, I'm not actually sure how it got started. She did a, a drumming video and challenged Dave Grohl or something. Right. Um, and then Dave Grohl responded. Uh, and they've been going backwards and forwards having a drum battle. And as of about a day ago from or maybe even less than that from when we're recording this um dave gold has conceded defeat in the first round and then come back with his challenge for the second round which is this whole song dave gold did with his family with loads of drumming and his family singing backing vocals about how cool this girl is and how she's the queen of rock and roll and it's just so heartwarming yeah i i i 
Dave Grohl seems like such a dude. He really does seem like a cool guy, I have to say, yes. There's, the, there's this amazing video on YouTube talking about Dave Grohl where the Foo Fighters were playing somewhere and there was this young guy in the audience who was wearing like kiss makeup, uh, long hair, holding a big sign that said, let me get up and play, what was that famous song? Monkey Wrench, I think it's called. Um, holding this big sign. So Dave Grohl brings him up onto the stage and gives him a guitar and he plays Monkey Wrench with with the Foo Fighters. And this guy is a fucking shredder. <laughs> like he just nails it. And the crowd are going absolutely nuts. You should go and check out that video. It's incredible. So huh. kudos to Dave Grohl. That's, like him. There's little things. Um, there's a bunch of videos on YouTube of random famous musicians um, just dropping in on a busker or something like that. There's one with Jimmy Somerville out of the Communards and yeah. Will I Am out of the Black Eyed Peas. It just, you know, he's just like walking along the street in London and there's a busker there who's actually playing one of his songs. So he just goes up and goes, do you mind if I jam you? And this guy's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Iron Maiden crashed a wedding in the 80s when they were on, on tour with like the Power Slave album and played the wedding. Ed, um, Ed Sheeran's done it a bunch of times. Yeah. Just shows up at like some random working men's club in the middle of nowhere and plays a gig with someone. It's really he cool. seems to, he seems to be a dude as well. You know, he seems very, he seems, da- he seems very down to earth. He's either got the the mother of all PR teams working for him putting this over, or he really is a really just nice down to earth Irish guy. <laughs> It's funny, our he's English by the way. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. Oh, but he was Irish. Okay. He's just, he's a ginger. I think that's why we that, assumed that. This was this was my assumption. <laughs> I honestly thought it was Irish as well. Although uh, our seven year old boy, his favourite song is Shape of You by Ed Sheeran. And which is a song about two people basically getting jiggy with it, and Jack doesn't quite understand the meaning <laughs> of the song yet, so <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of getting jiggy with things, should we talk about Oracle? Yes. Well, only that briefly, was I think. Not um, a smooth segue, for the record. It, it was not. Yeah. So, But yes, being more serious. No, it wasn't good. And yeah. this is the bit where I ask um, you two, both of whom will have done the reading and the research, to explain this to me. Um, so Oracle are buying TikTok, apparently, except maybe they're not buying TikTok, or maybe they are, and I don't understand what's going on. So this is where I explain to the dear listeners that in the 20 or 36 to 48 hours in between now when we are recording this and when it's released, all of the information will have come out and we have access to <laughs> none of that information now. So I suspect we'll talk about this a, l- a little bit more in depth next show. But as it stands now, Microsoft has bowed out. Uh, they, they're calling this a technology partnership. And I, I legitimately, with no further definition, I don't, I don't know how to interpret I don't know what that. that. Yeah, but it, yeah. it seems to me like it's some kind of like Oracle is going to agree to host some of the data I'm imagining. Interesting because ByteDance just signed a very large three-year deal with Google and is already in AWS. So it's going to be their third cloud, which will be interesting to, to watch unfold. But it seems like they're going to move forward, but with what I, I am not sure. I don't imagine Elson thinks he's running TikTok and it's been made pretty clear by the Chinese government that in no uncertain terms, they are not allowed to give up the algorithm. And I think to me, the algorithm is really where the national security component was. Not The data yeah. residency is a thing, but to me, a minor thing. The algorithm is the major thing. The, the, the thing that is a lot different about TikTok than traditional social media 
is there's no social network component, right? It's not your friends don't surface things for you. The app just surfaces things. And because of that, they can interject a, a lot of things and make whatever they want popular. And given the misinformation that's going around these days, that's obviously a concern with an app that has the the kind of download numbers and retention numbers that TikTok has. So uh, the thing that we should have cared about was the algorithm, and it seems like that slid under uh, under unnoticed. So I'm very curious to find out what happens in the next, I don't know, week or so as the details come out. But I suspect this will be an interesting story that we want to discuss when we have a little bit more information. Yeah, the... The, the the impression I had about the thing is everyone seems to be fighting over their definition of what a way of describing what's being done, but what's being done doesn't seem to be changing that much, right? So what's being done for me? Why part of the story is so fascinating is that I, I've never seen a situation where the leader of a country forced the sale of a private entity in this way. So the whole way that this played out and, and then Microsoft coming out and saying that they would in some way remunerate the United States Treasury, which also doesn't make any sense and is unprecedented on top of it. like The, the number of moving components here and then having the Chinese government step in and say, well, they can't sell the algorithm, it's not for sale. It, it really shows, A, how the, the fact that out of all the geopolitical things that could have turned into the hot button thing. The fact that it's TikTok to me is a little fascinating <laughs> and that so both governments are so invested in this transaction it means it, it's going to be a details coming out of this, if, if not for weeks, months. So uh, something we'll keep an eye on and, and definitely something I'm personally interested in. So we'll, I'm sure, talk about it more as we get more. I, I suspect, yeah, once the stagger unwinds, this is a whole main topic yes but i would imagine yeah so. at the moment yeah. no one has a clue including all the people involved in it i was gonna say i suspect <laughs> when you say no one you mean legitimately no one including the people signing the paperwork so <laughs> it, it seems fascinating as well that i mean yeah we'll find out what's going on but the idea of some kind of technology partnership with tiktok when it comes to infrastructure seems eminently reasonable that oracle will be interested in that but if it turns out that Oracle are buying them for the purposes of they will own them like Microsoft would own them, and it's a consumer product that people can use. That is just mind-bogglingly obtuse to me. It's just uh, like, why would that be? So the what? Case? I, I'm, it's not going to be that. What I would guess is there'll be some agreement where maybe Oracle owns the developer accounts with Apple right. and Google, but not in yeah. China. But not having access to the algorithm, I don't know how they would actually sign the app. So there's still, I, I, I have already seen. Someone post a thing to Twitter, which I'm assuming is a mock-up of the um, the TikTok screen with the now you have to install Java pop-up on top of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't categorically guarantee this is not just an actual thing that it does now, but I'm assuming it's I'm assuming it's a Photoshop job. <laughs> People talk so much shit about all the problems with social media. We talk so much shit about it as well, but goddamn, the internet can deliver sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so since let's talk about the other um enormous potential the, technology the other acquisition. could be an entire show news item yes yes uh, and this may become a news item in the future depending on what happens so nvidia are buying arm yes thoughts 
I've got, I've got so, a bunch, but go ahead. From my, from my perspective, ARM's entire business model was predicated on making the ARM ecosystem as good as possible for as many entities as possible so that they could sell as many licenses as possible, right? So in that way, ARM's business model really enabled a diverse, thriving market of, of ARM devices. Um, and that's, I think, for a lot of reasons why they pro- the, you see ARM chips proliferating so much. And I will grant that uh, Risk V is is on their coattails, and there's a whole separate like argument oh, there. Oh, there's, there's a whole section of this about Risk V, which is coming up. <laughs> In the end, ARM's business objective pre-acquisition was to create and empower as many direct competitors to NVIDIA as possible. Right there, there's no other way to put that. So that that neutrality under Nvidia's ownership, I, I don't know how they maintain that. They're claiming that they're going to, but now Nvidia has early access to ARM designs. They can modify the ARM ISA in any way they want. Uh, there's, they're now a supplier for their direct competitors, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Samsung set a great precedent here. I could say they're Samsung. the number one Android phone manufacturer, and yeah. also uh, give the displays to Apple for the yeah. iPhone. So. And I think Samsung has a rich history of that kind of enablement. Uh, NVIDIA's reputation, both on the pricing side and on the being a, a little adversarial on the partnership side, yeah, I don't yeah. know that that kind of ecosystem will be there. But if you listen to their CEO uh, in the earnings report talking about this, it, it's he seems all in uh, whether NVIDIA will change who they are, which is what this would take. I I, I don't know. That I mean, I I couldn't agree more with you about that. And there are a couple of extra components to this from my point of view. Um, so I was listening to Bill Cook talking about this, and he expressed my thoughts very well. Um, Arm are a UK company, and there aren't that many of them who are world. Mm, yeah, you see, you're going to go. You're going to go. Mean, no, you're going to go. The, no, they're not. And they, I don't care about your opinion. Uh, they, they were owned by you, SoftBank. UK company in Cambridge, blah, 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 right? Yeah, but the heart and soul of ARM is definitely Cambridge. There's yeah. no doubt about that. And NVIDIA have said, no, 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 we're not going to change that. We're not going to move all the operations to the US. Um, and here's the thing, much like you, Jeremy, on the, um, no, 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 we're going to continue to enable our competitors. When they say, yeah, yeah, yeah it's all going to, it's all going to remain, uh, the heart and soul of it's in Cambridge and we're not going to fiddle with that. I'm like, okay, but here's the thing. I don't believe you. <laughs> and I I just don't. Um, Why not? I, I, I'm sure they won't do anything for two or three years. Sure. As, as with all these promises, yeah. when acquisitions happen. But it's it's what happens. So it's disappointing because they go away from here. It's disappointing because they're a homegrown thing. And as an acorn kid, I have a special attachment to ARM, right? Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> and... Yeah, I can't see how this can be anything other than harmful to the ARM ecosystem. I mean, what can NVIDIA add to this that ARM weren't already in a position to do? Is what I don't get. I, I, I mean, I'm prepared to buy that for the moment it doesn't make things any worse, but I don't see how it improves things. The only direction is down, right? I mean, I... I... That's a good question, but I would argue that one thing that NVIDIA's figured out to a reasonable degree is how to build components um, that can be sold to a mass market of people uh, and how to get their components into other devices. Um, 
and maybe the their idea here is making arm. If you buy a charging lead, it's got an arm chip in it. R- yeah, but that doesn't necessarily mean. <laughs> but yeah, sure, but that doesn't necessarily mean that arm are good at that. What I'm saying is oh, that the arm didn't have to be good. At it. it was the point because they never built anything. They just licensed right. the designs. Right. Well, TSMC asking- built it or whomever built it. Yeah, of course, yeah. But what I'm saying is that you're asking like, what can Nvidia do that's beneficial here? I would say that I think everybody would agree that ARM's technology is 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 great and it's impressive, and Nvidia have done great things elsewhere. And it seems like that, at least from what I've been reading, the main goal here is going to be around AI. Um, I don't know. I I I don't know enough about either to have a really, frankly, a warranted view on this, but. I just think they're two good companies operating in close but different areas, and I can imagine them actually generating some really pretty interesting shit out of this. I think the thing that's going to worry people, and would worry me from a, a, a making the acquisition fruitful, or however you want to word it, perspective, is their business models are not aligned in any way. Yeah, so that's if, true. if you're yeah, someone in sure. finance, you would say there's not a lot of synergy here. Um, so <laughs> I, oh, God. I don't know. It's another another trigger word for Eck. <laughs> the, the CEO, I, that's why I said it. If you listen to the CEO talk, he's almost acting like it's a reverse merger and that suddenly NVIDIA is going to take on the, the DNA that ARM built. And I don't see that happening, to be honest. No. Uh, one thing that fascinated me is if you look at when SoftBank bought ARM, NVIDIA, which was not long ago, it was 2016. Uh, NVIDIA market cap was about 34-ish billion dollars, depending on if you go when it was announced or when it closed, et cetera. But in in the mid-30, there were $300 billion now. So the fact that they paid for this in stock is... Yeah, and ARM ARM just got bought for only $4 billion more than they were bought for at that point. So NVIDIA... The return was less than 5% for SoftBank. Yeah, Yeah. NVIDIA have got way more. Hang on, Jeremy. You s- <clears throat> Let me be sure I heard that right. You're saying that Nvidia was worth about thirty billion in 2016. Is that right? And now they're worth three hundred billion. Is that what you said? If you include the massive bump that they got after announcing this, yes. Wow, that's yeah. fucking incredible. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it was a big deal. And yeah, Arm, yeah. Arm, Arm have done nothing like that. I mean, no. I'm sure. There are a bunch of reasons why NVIDIA can see that this is good for NVIDIA. I just don't think it's going to be good for ARM. But what I think is interesting is the the small groundswell about RISC-V um, chips has been there for a while. People be talking about SH and that kind of thing, super engineer. But yeah, RISC-V seems to be the, the thing, which could be the new ARM. But yeah. There's always been this slight sense of, yeah, this is all great, but why would anyone ever care about this? In order for this to happen, it's not like you're going to topple ARM by being better. The ARM people are going to have to just shoot themselves in the foot so that there's a place to be taken. And I wonder whether this is precisely that thing. I would imagine there will be an uptick in investment. I mean, one of the big differences is there's no license fee with with RISC-V, right? So that that would have been the initial pushes, especially for very low cost things like charging cables yeah, having yeah, yeah. no license fee helps for a phone less of a big deal yeah but i, I think this yeah. will accelerate the investment companies will have in the, the architecture in general yeah i think there will be a bunch of people who before were quite happy to be arm licensees um quite happy to just think in terms of yeah we'll just use arm chips for everything who are now like oh now we got to buy them off nvidia huh. maybe we're not as keen and the thing about arm is that they were willing to do 
a couple of different areas where they had their regular processor designs that you could just buy. And then they worked, you know, Apple could take it and do the bionic yeah. thing and make it one of the best chips around. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that NVIDIA is going to want to do that second thing, right? When you buy an NVIDIA chip, you buy Tegra. You don't get a lot yeah, of options. Yeah, yeah. Where ARM was all about options and modifiability. And then, you know, Global Foundry will build you whatever you want from there. It won't matter. So right. it was that modularized ecosystem that I think yeah. was what made ARM. And that's just anathema to what NVIDIA does and I, how they operate as an organization. I, I certainly think if 10 years from now, this is a big thing, it's risk. It's supposed this, to be. This pronounced. was the watershed moment. I I think people will look back in there how we got this far, and this will ha- this will be one of the points on the table of contents. Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, none of this is gonna shake out for years. Oh, years, a- a- years. Nvidia aren't gonna start doing the things we're worried they might do for two or three years at least. Um, that's gonna take a while to filter into the market, so on and so forth. So maybe it's nothing. But I I just feel like I, I wish this hadn't happened. But I mean, why? Like let's let's because he's an acorn. He is a self-described acorn kid. Right, I get that. But to me, that's an emotional response to a situation as opposed to a logical evaluation yeah, of the situation. Yeah, but now, here's the things, right? Emotional responses are okay. <laughs> They're allowed. I'm not saying it's not okay, <laughs> but you know what is wrong? You know, the problem with emotional responses many times is they're flawed. So I'm not saying that yeah. there's not a, I'm not saying that there's, there's not, no, you shouldn't be, I mean, we, we're all, we all emotionally respond to everything, right? Um, but um, I just don't think a company is going to go and spend $40 billion on ARM. And then the thing that makes ARM so, one of the reasons why ARM has been so successful is because of that that licensing piece that modularity piece i just think i mean nvidia are a lot of things but we're assuming that nvidia are never going to change and i think companies do often companies will buy other companies so they can have a bit of a sea change to occur now i'm not saying it's not going to reflect poorly ultimately on on arm but it may reflect really well on arm it may mean that arm are going to be able to do things that they were never able to do before because they've got this big machine behind them serious question not i'm not disagreeing with you um can you give an example of one company who's bought another with the intention of that prompting a sea change where it successfully happened? I can name a couple where they're trying to do that. Um, IBM buying Red Hat, um, Microsoft buying GitHub, but we're still in the early stage that that transformation hasn't occurred. They're hoping that it occurs and maybe Nvidia are doing the same thing with ARM here. Can you, do you know of an example where they did that and it worked? There may be one. I, I'm not saying there isn't one. I can't think of one. I'd say Sun buying MySQL. Oof, I would not agree Ooh. with that. So I, I would say Apple buying Next. Apple buying Next, good example. Do you think when Apple bought Next, what they bought was Next Culture, or do you think they just bought Steve Jobs? Bit of both. A, a bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> and the Steve and the Steve Jobs that came back was not the Steve Jobs that left, so I don't even oh, know yeah, if they yeah. knew what they were buying. No, ag- agreed. Um. Uh, mate, no, okay, no, th- th- those are reasonable examples. I'll, I'll go, I'll go for those. And I know that they're ongoing, but I think Microsoft buying GitHub is a brilliant example of this happening. Totally, um, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so I, and I think, look, Nvidia. Given, I don't, again, I don't know a huge amount about what they've, what they've been doing, but 
they have had an amazing amount of success, obviously, in the last two or three years. Uh, they're doing something right. They're understanding the markets they want to get into, and they're doing it well. I I just think that um, it's easy for us to say they're just a big company. They're going to fuck it all up. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. We'll see what happens. I think people are fair to be suspicious. I think people are fair to have their suspicious thoughts about it. Yeah, but- it, it, yeah. I, I, I think that's exactly the point. If you if you are to say, but they're a big company, they'll fuck it up. And someone goes, well, why do you think that? You go, well, how long do you want to wait for me to reel off examples of this happening? Right. But, but, but I agree with you completely. I mean, maybe we should give them the benefit of the doubt and – It'd be interesting to see, because I tend to think of ARM as being quite an open company and NVIDIA as not being quite an open company. But I don't know how much of that's actually true. Right. So it'd be interesting to see how they blend together. It'd be interesting It'd be interesting to see whether the risk stuff, risk-free stuff, um, ends up becoming the next big thing. Well, and the, the, the other thing as well I'd yeah. say is it's, just as a general way of, I think, in which we all look at the world, it's easy for us, for example, to say, look at all these companies who fucked up. And we can reel off, like, the three of us could reel off loads of them, of areas in which people have fucked up. But I think people often re- remember the newsworthy fuck-ups, but the really good stuff that's happening doesn't get news in the same way that people have said this about the news a lot, right? You always hear about the murders and the rapes and the terrorist attacks and whatever else, but you don't hear the thousands of good, kind stories that are happening every every day because it's not newsworthy. So just because we hear the fuck-ups with some of these companies doesn't necessarily mean they're not doing a lot of good stuff. We just maybe haven't heard of it. So we'll have to see what happens. I mean, yeah, well... Time, time will tell. We revisit we, we this in a couple of years yeah. when um, when they fucked every it up. Charging cable I buy has <laughs> look, a different chip. You can look forward to season five, episode eighty, where we cover the retrospective. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about this and we'll review the remarkable two tablet. <laughs> Boys and girls, I have a story to share with you all. So um, recently, I was laid in bed. Um, and I was browsing Instagram of all places, which I don't tend to look at very often because uh, uh, I'm over 40 now. Um, Are you an influencer d- now? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I am. I'm an influencer. In Absolutely my own head. not. I have not influenced <laughs> anything or anyone. Anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of going through uh, Instagram. I, f- I saw an ad for something called a remarkable tablet. And I'd heard about this a little while back. And it's basically, it looks like an ebook reader, right? Like it's got that grayish kind of e-paper screen, but it's got a, a pencil with it and you can uh, you can draw on it and you can draw notes. And it's basically designed to replace like a typical notepad. Um, and this really resonated with me because I don't know about you two, but I when I need to come up with ideas or get creative about content or my business or whatever else i tend to go outside now with a piece of paper and a pencil and i tend to scratch down on uh, ideas on paper and i can reorganize them and move them around so this this idea of this remarkable tablet was really interesting to me and i ended up buying one but then i realized that i think we're seeing a bit of a trend happening here because i've also discovered about myself that i'm starting to buy real books And I like to sit outside with a book and a cup of coffee instead of sitting there with my Kindle Oasis. So this all begs the question, are we seeing this kind of resurgence of tech-enabling non-tech things? 
you know, because not only the remarkable tablet, when I was doing some digging, I also found some company. This thing looks crap, to be fair. And it's a typewriter with an e-ink screen. It's got like one of those old school cherry keyboards with the clicky keys on it and some crappy little e-ink display. You did not put this in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Yeah, I thought, oh, I shared it to you guys in Slack. I'm going to go and dig it up so you can go and see it. Um, but this notion of technology enabling you to get away from notifications and Facebook and Twitter and people rowing about politics and the internet, I think this is really cool. What do you guys think about this? So I think, first of all, d- delete Facebook like any other rational human being should do. We'll throw that out yeah. there f- f- straight away. <laughs> There's only a billion people on there. There are a number of interesting <laughs> side thoughts from your little description there. Yeah. One of which is that the next time you say the phrase, cre- be creative about content, I'm going to push you into a well. <laughs> so-, <laughs> so when you're creating content and you're coming up with ideas, how would you describe that? I would never create content. I might write a book, for example. Well, that's creating content, you idiot. I mean, that's content creation, yeah. No, not really. You do, why do you need a generic term for it? It's stupid. <laughs> it's the act, of, the act of writing a book. Think of it this way, nerd boy. So creating content is a... Writing a book is a subclass of creating content. <laughs> Stop that using makes the word content. It's a meaningless marketing Of all word. the places I thought we would land in this discussion, <laughs> boy, to be honest. You just well, don't like people here. using the word content. That's what's, what's, what's happening here. That's absolutely correct. Um, but <laughs> I, 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 do, I do think it's interesting. Um, content. Con- content I, creation. <laughs> um, this I is great content. You say um, your notion is about tech enabling non-tech uses but i think there's a whole bunch of non-tech uses which keep coming back i mean um there was a thing maybe 15 years ago when pdas were a big thing so this would have been just before the first smartphones or after the first smartphones depending on your definition of what a smartphone is but before the first right. iphone there was but you're talking called- about that you're not talking about people kissing in public right Oh, yes, PDAs, yes. <laughs> I thought... That one, that one took a while to land. <laughs> it, it, it did, for, it did for two reasons. First of all, yeah. <laughs> um, and secondly, the whole idea of people kissing in public or fraternising in public or being closer than six metres apart in public is so foreign to me now <laughs> that it, I just don't think of it anymore. <laughs> Speaking right. of someone who hasn't touched another human being for six months. Right. Just himself. <laughs> anyway Move, moving on let's, let's, let's move that. that's not good content there was a thing um uh right about 2005 or so called the hipster pda and it was one of these nine day wonder things on whatever we did before twitter where we found things out i don't even remember um but <laughs> but basically as um people were starting to carry pdas around and say i keep my notes on them and i use them in meetings and so on there was a little bit of an anti-tech backlash against them and people were pushing for the idea of a hipster pda which was just a bunch of index cards kept together with a bulldog clip and it was one of those slightly trendy hipstery things to have where the same way people will say have a moleskin notebook that they're very proud that they keep notes in it rather than on their iphone or whatever so i think there's this kind of emotional pull towards i don't know whether it's authenticity or just the fact that a bit of paper never ever goes bing in the middle of an important piece of work and needs charging or whatever i think that's what it's all about but then your thing 
has all the disadvantages of both, right? I mean, what does it, I'm assuming the point is that what it gives you is that you don't have to carry a whole ream of paper around and you can keep using it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it digitizes it as well. As as far as I can tell, it's, um, uh, it's, uh, you know, a screen that you can write on with a pencil and, uh, it, it works by kind of, you know, the way e-paper works is sort of mag- magnets and little turny balls under the covers. So it's basically a magnet doodle is what this thing is, <laughs> but for the 21st century. Yeah, but it's an e-magnet doodle. <laughs> okay. Amer- Americans and other benighted members of the populace who may not have come across the classic toy that is a magnet doodle. Um, think of an edge sketch, except you could draw on it with a sort of magic mag- magnetic pencil. I'm yeah. sure you had them. I just don't know what it was called. Yeah, and it's your thing is just that, right? Does it freedom give you, doodle? Does it give you actual text? So the way it works is, it's a screen. I know, I know you, you can put notes on it and so on. From you can, you can, it. you can write in it. So you know, you can, it, you can break it into different notepads. It does OCR notebooks. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll convert your is your the, scribblings into. Is the OCR into... any good? Is my question. So I have claims pre- to do it. So I've pre-ordered mine, and mine doesn't arrive until November. But the people, the first batch of these has started shipping, and from everything that I've seen on extensive review videos on YouTube, that the 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 OCR is actually pretty good. Um, I should it, be impressed it, if you can read your illiterate chicken scratch that is a hand <laughs> this, I, this I, is i can't read it not a python script i i can't read it um so <laughs> the python script oh and also this thing runs linux and what's quite cool is that people have been building like their own um their own new features into this remark apparently it's very very hackable um that's which nice. is cool. so i will um, say when you described this initially i thought to myself that sounds dumb and then I looked at the website, <laughs> and it actually is quite nice. Like I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious what you think of yours with the ion potentially after that getting one. So uh, kudos there, because I am a little surprised. What's uh, what what everybody's complained about with this thing, without turning it all into the remarkable two, is that uh, it's it's not good for reading books on. Because I think a lot of people want to use it as an ebook reader as well as something to write on. Um, but they'll fix that in a software update. But apparently, one of the things I like about it is, for example, when I'm uh, working on, when I'm creating content, for example, <laughs> I just you are, you are watch such it. an unutterable oaf, honestly. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why this bothers you so much. <laughs> anyway, so when I'm uh, when I'm in the zone. Um, making content what i often do is i write if i'm building a training course for example i'll write things down onto index cards because then i can reorder them in different ways right Hips and that's PDA one of the things territory. i like yep carry right, on <laughs> exactly and what i like about this remarkable too is that for example i'd be able to write down some stuff on a card and then you can select it and you can move it to a different notebook or a different part of the screen or you can reorder things so it goes a little bit beyond obviously what you can do with paper and a pen um by the way i i shared in our slack channel that typewriter is called the free write. I want you both now. This thing looks Listeners terrible. do this as well. Go to getfreewrite.com and I want us all to experience this reaction I, together. I, I looked at this. <laughs> getfreewrite.com. I, 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 I will do it again for the purposes of, uh, the, laws. <laughs> of, 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 of the laws, but I looked at it when you sent the link. And I'm just waiting, yeah, just waiting since, for Jeremy's. Since, <laughs> <laughs> So this is the opposite of the remarkable two. I look at this and think I cannot believe it's, anyone bought this. It's it's so ugly as well. I mean, I'll tell you what it is based on um, 
uh, all these new things being e versions of toys I had as a kid. It's a speak and spell. It looks like it a speak and spell. It does. Except it's yeah. seven hundred dollars. Yeah. Oh, I hadn't seen how much money it was. <laughs> Six ninety nine. Quantities are Kidding. limited. Only one hundred and fifty of these beautiful freeware exist in the world. Make sure you capture yours today. Oh God! Now that is annoying. Yeah. What's amazing to me is when you look at this thing, have you seen those? There's got a giant switch for the Wi-Fi to turn it yeah. off and on, which is kind of interesting. And then that folder switch, A, B, or C. Yeah. Three folders. It is just, what nincompoop came up with this I idea? I know. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible device. <laughs> but yes, anyway, they'll send us one yeah. now for a review, and then we'll review it in like 2028. So... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yes, I, I get your point. I think, um, well, sorry, I don't think that this is a new thing. So one of the things that we were talking about, one of the things this made me think about is, is this a trend? Is this something which is more common or is it always there? To me, this feels like the idea of the, the backlash against technology and you should be uh, keep you should be writing things down on nice paper with a nice pen and things like that seems to come yeah. up like every two or three years to the point where i don't think it's a recurring trend i think it just never goes away it's there in the background the whole time there's always a grumbling in the background isn't there and then it becomes a it becomes a, a crescent of grumbling. <laughs> so. Yeah, a crescendo, I think, rather than a crescent. But yeah, That's a good point. <laughs> crescendo is the right word. There, yeah. There's that. And there's also, I think people are a little bit burned out on technology now, which probably is accelerating that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can believe that. I mean, um, do you remember when there was things like, um, there was a little fad for um, distraction mode in editors or non-distraction mode in editors, however you want it, where you, yeah. you had a a simple stripped out text editor, which went full screen. And the pitch was then you're being sealed away from all the things clamoring for your attention. So you can just sit down and write. And again, those things are still around. Some people still use them. They still like them, but they had a little fillip of attention um, three or four years yep. ago. Um, so I talked to my daughter about this. Ah. because I, I thought it'd be interesting to see whether this was a generational thing. Because How old some, is she? She's 20. She's 20, right. So that's right. Su some of this felt like, to me, maybe it was us harking back to our youth a bit because we're the only generation that's ever existed which straddled the division between no technology and technology, I think. Yeah, I think that was the generation b before us. Uh, not, not tech rather than no tech, but no one had used a computer on a regular basis until us. We remember a time before it, and now we exist after it. The generation yeah. after us haven't known a world without a computer on every desktop like Bill Gates claimed for. And the generation before us still don't have one. But yeah, anyway, yeah, the point yeah, was, yeah. I wonder whether this was um, our generation getting to the point where now we can make products and sell them to people. Mm. And yearning for the simplicity of our youth before social media and the internet came to destroy us. So I talked to Nave, right, my daughter, and as far as I can tell, no, it isn't. <laughs> her, her lot are basically the same. If you want to take um, uh, a long series of notes about things, they'll use pen and paper. 
because it's more comfortable to do. You, um, it's easier to sort of draw little lines and circles, joining things up and so on. If you're keeping a to-do list, they'll do it on the phone, but there's no long typing there. And I think that's roughly the same as us, I believe. that I mean, if I need to plan something out or sketch something out or make some quick notes, I'll do it on the notebook, which is next to my desk. If I'm doing something where I want, I know I want to keep it, or it's going to eventually become a document, I'll probably do it in a text editor because I don't have to transcribe it. From what I can tell, people her age and younger, say 15 to 20-ish, are more anti-technology than people our age, not less. Yeah, if if anything, yeah. Um, uh, but Really? But, Having grown up steeped in technology from the very beginning, I think they realize the dangers and... The downsides a little. I think we're the generation, and I said this in a previous show. We're a little Pollyannish about tech, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't know right. that younger generations will be so Pollyannish. I am, however, um, aware that I may be dealing with a biased sample here because if I look at all the people in my generation, my sample who I size know, of one, I'm, I'm willing yeah. to make yeah. certainties. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, the bad I, voltage <laughs> polling department is not exactly experienced. No, no, this no. I, I, I have a large, um, I have a large sample Stop there. set. Stop there. Oh. The problem is, how many people do you know who aren't involved with technology? And the answer is not as many as people I know who are involved in technology. Yes, sure. And I feel yeah. like my life would be different if I were a guy fixing a roof, for example. It might be sadder, but it would right. be. We see, what's kind of interesting about that is that for me, you, you mentioned about Neve preferring to uh, use paper and a pen if it's like a longer piece of writing because she probably doesn't want to type into her phone or whatever. For me, I actually really don't like writing a lot of content with a pen. Um, it, I just find it annoying. So if I'm, so to give you an example, when I'm when I've been working on one of these training courses, the idea of coming up with the course and the content and how you order it and that you know how you kind of build the journey, I guess you could say, I find that way easier to do on paper and a pen because I can sketch things out, I can draw little diagrams. But then yeah, I think I mean, like you, Ak. I think like you, Ak, once I've got that scribbled set of notes, then I'll move it into like a proper document where I formally write everything out and make it look But I don't think I, I don't think anyone writes anything longhand anymore. I wrote a letter uh, a couple of years ago um, to Mr. Bacon and his wife. <laughs> this is true, yeah. And it was weird. You know, a two-page um, paper letter... It felt bizarre. I hadn't written something that lot that long in a long time, and I've and I do a lot of writing on paper. I've got um, a notebook in my coat, which I move from things, and I've got two fountain pens, and I and I've got one in each jacket. So I've always got them to write with to make little notes with. I cannot remember right. the last time I wrote two full page a uh, two full page note. It was weird. No. I mean, it's no. a really, it was a really nice experience, and I thoroughly recommend it to you. Um, yeah, it does feel honestly quite slow and clunky. I can't write by hand as fast as I can type. Nowhere yeah. Yeah. near. No, yeah. not even Same close. Way. So it's it feels frustrating, but it's sort of thing where if you want a sort of a chilled, slow moment, write something out longhand. It's nice. So there's there's some interesting research too into if you write physically write with a pencil, pen, paper old school you remember substantially more of what you're writing down than if you type it which is, i've heard is, about this yeah. yeah it's interesting it is so i mean i think we we'd all agree that 
um, there's value to sitting down there with a paper and a pen that I guess, and I think there is an element of it, it is more tactile, like, and, but I think a big chunk of this is getting away from the distractions. Like we've talked on the show previously about, about, you know, these, these tools built into phones to reduce screen time and things like that. Yeah. And I'm increasingly of the view that like I, speaking personally, I don't use any of those things. I don't have anything on my computer that restricts how I use it, with the exception of one thing, which is one of those little micro breaks thing that locks my screen every 15 minutes uh, for one minute. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I injured my rotator cuff and I need to do these stretches. And it's good to do that every 15 minutes. But beyond that, I don't have any. So do you disable that when we record or disable it during meetings or disable? It seems like for me, is if, it I, not do, if I disabled Mac? it during meetings, it would be disabled for 12 hours a day. I, I leave it on and then and then you can dismiss it if you want to. It's like a screen overlay and I dismiss it if I'm in a meeting. The time when I have to disable it is if I'm recording my screen, like doing a video or whatever. Um, but that's the only thing I do to restrict it. And frankly, I spend so much of my life on a computer and sat in front of a phone and all the rest of it. But I do think that what's interesting, I think people struggle with being on a computer and not using the things that a computer or a phone can do. Because that requires a lot of self-discipline. But picking up a piece of paper and a pen or a remarkable tablet or whatever and going and sitting in a different room away from it all, turning your phone off or leaving it in a different room, I find that that works much better. Which makes sense. There is an interesting question. Because I agree with you. If you're actually doing it on a piece of paper, at no point when um, you write something on that piece of paper will it pop up a little thing offering uh, that you share it on Facebook, for example. Um, Yeah. But... There's always been this promise of um, some kind of computer technology, which gives you the experience that you're used to of things like writing on paper or filing things or whatever, but gives you the benefits that a computer has. Like you can search it, you can print it out, you can make multiple copies, you can go back and edit it afterwards, so on and so forth. And that's that's the same pitch that the Remarkable 2 is doing. What I will be interested to see is whether the Remarkable 2 or possibly the Remarkable 3 starts growing all of this crappy, now share this, now invite your friends right. to collaborate or something. Exactly. And all, uh, once they start saying, you know, this is going back to the last show about companies wanting an ongoing revenue stream rather than the idea that they sell you a thing, they keep your money and then nothing else happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not tied into a cloud service, I assume, yet. Uh, they, they are... They either do have it or they're building a, a way to sync your notes to yeah, their I'm, thing. I'm sure that, but, 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 but it's, it's, it, it doesn't require it, is the point. No, not not as far as I'm aware. Well, I okay. think you're right. Like, what's, what I think is fascinating here about that topic is you take, you know, as we talked about a couple of shows ago, or maybe the last one, I can't remember, where everything is moving over to, over to these SaaS services, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I had it today. I use this tool called ConvertKit for my email, and they just added a new set of features into the into the service which are pretty cool and i guess what's interesting about the remarkable too is for that to maintain its value they need to deliberately not add things <laughs> and then you've got to ask the question some people might want all of that functionality and that's a way in which they can add functionality and make it more sellable to people but half the value here is that you don't have that sinking shit on there. It doesn't interrupt you. You're not That's supposed a to have position to- a distraction-free text editor and then quietly turn it into Eclipse or Emacs or something in the background. So when right? law. <laughs> well, and this is exactly the point. But I, th- I think it is... There's something, and people... I, I, I've been reading, uh, attempting to find 
people who've managed to articulate this well, and I haven't found anybody. But there is something nice, something compelling about that feeling of uh, writing on paper, making notes on paper that yep. a computer just doesn't seem to capture. You know, and I like computers. I'll be honest with you. This might come as a surprise to you. But I like <laughs> does computers. Not. And I have spent some considerable time staring into a screen 18 hours a day since I was four years old. But yeah, yet, I think there is still some interest in that. And like you say, Jeremy, I think um, the uh, uh, Generation Z and uh, Millennials tend to um be withdrawing a bit from the whole technology thing exactly because they've had a life suffused in it and want something different do we you know are we all wanting out of the water (laughs) i mean do we think this is going to continue because i mean we've talked about the remarkable two there's um color e-ink is becoming a thing now we're starting to see color e-ink tablets coming out and and it's only a matter of of I mean, yeah, you can go and buy them. I mean, it's only a matter of time before you, Amazon you are going to put one in a Kindle. It's jam tomorrow still. Uh, you know, in the same way that folding phones are and so on. Yeah, they're there. You can buy them today. You, you can. Buy no, you can buy them today. Have, yeah, but have you seen anyone using them? But that doesn't mean that they're not available. It just means that people I don't know haven't got them. <laughs> I don't know anyone with a... Lamborghini but, <laughs> doesn't but, mean they don't exist in the world. First of all, I don't believe you. Second, uh, no one guy. You actually, you met him. I know I've Bruce. met him. That's why. I, that's why I said I don't believe. You. I forgot. Well, we don't know he's got a Lamborghini. He's got like twenty sports cars. He's probably going to have a Lambo in. There. I'm prepared to bet he's got half a dozen Lamborghinis. That bloke. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, you can go out and buy them. But you, I kind of expected that colour ink would take the world by storm and there'd be no black and white ink in the same way that 15 minutes after Carly tellies came out there weren't that many black and white tellies and right. that has emphatically not been the case well it's still pretty new to be fair yes um, um but the but the and you, you people have been buying these tablet screen protectors for like ipads that way when you use the apple pencil it feels more like paper instead of writing on a glass screen um are we, do we think that we're going to see more of this? Because the books thing is interesting to me. Because there is something about, like, the reason why I've been buying books recently is I realized recently that um, I start a book and I'll read through it. And if it doesn't capture my interest within the first third of the book, I'll probably never read the rest of it. And then I realized this is stupid, especially for not so much fiction, uh, but I don't read fiction, but more for business books or how-to books, something like that, where you can just... You can pick up a physical book and you can flick through it and go and find a bit that looks interesting. Maybe a diagram catches your eye or something like that. You can't do that easily on a Kindle. You can't flick through a Kindle. You can't browse. You can't flick through pages on a Kindle like you can with a real book. And I wonder whether we're going to start seeing more of that as well. I think there's always going to be a kind of uneasy tension between them because they both bring things to the to the party. You know. Um, yes, I find it immensely useful. Just uh, there's a whole bunch of what do security people call it side channels. Um, when you're reading a physical book, you have a sense of where you are in the book, how long there is to go in the book, and yeah. no matter how much the Kindle people would say, but there's a progress bar at the bottom. It's not the same. You 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 take that sort of information in from a book without being consciously aware of it. Whereas with a Kindle, you've got to go looking for it. Like you say, flicking through a Kindle to see if there's anything interesting is really, really difficult. The flip side is, if I want to know where a thing is in a book and I can't remember, 
searching on a Kindle, super easy. Yeah. Looking through a paper book by hand, massive pain in the behind. Having had to yeah. do it. Uh, sit, uh, you know, I mean, I'm sitting here next to a bookshelf. Um, so and I and I read all the books on it, you know. So I read paper yep. books a lot. And every now and again I'll think of something. And even if I know roughly where it is in the book, sometimes I can jump pretty quickly to it. But sometimes if I can't find it, then finding it is hell on legs. What I end up doing is picking a sentence from the book, Googling that sentence in quotes, at which point I find some dodgy knockoff Russian website (laughs) with the plain text of a book I own and have in my hand and then search that for the text that I want, right? And this seems like a suboptimal way of interacting with the content that I've been presented with. There's a there's a lot of dodgy Russian book websites. I have a Google alert set up for people no- powered. And oh, really? A, yeah, and it's like every, almost every Google alert that I got it, it get is some some dodgy Russian forum with people who've ripped off my book and they're sharing it. With <laughs> it's like it's all publicity, it's, right? <laughs> I guess. Um, I mean, this is one of those things where it is, but I suspect you probably ought to say that out loud, otherwise you get a phone call from HarperCollins or whatever going, dude, stop saying things like that. (laughs) (laughs) We don't care what Corey Doctorow says. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see what happens. So uh, any other thoughts on on this before we wrap wrap this delicious show up? I'm going to quote Rupert Childs from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Uh, because as with everything 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 real is in Buffy so this is 20 years ago and he, he said books smell musty and rich and the knowledge gained from a computer it has no texture it's got no context it's there and it's gone if it's to last then the getting of knowledge should be tangible and I think that's exactly what you were saying Jeremy about things like writing things by hand makes it actually sink into your memory and computer stuff is ephemeral it's uh, it's not fixated. It's not fixed within you in quite a way. And I thought that was... That's interesting. Yeah, it's... Uh, people... That was... Uh, whoever wrote that script, that line, obviously perceived that. And that was 20... 22 years ago, probably. Would you agree that that's great content? <laughs> <laughs> I'd agree that it was great. <laughs> I would like to do a show one time that's just where 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 each we I think we may have done this but I I want you Mr Language to just to pick out the five things like room 101 you know that TV show in England Oh wow yeah yeah room 101 of the just the five things that just infuriate you um and obviously you know content is is well, is one thing that infuriates you if there's I probably to, more if, things If I had to talk a lot about content I would be discontent <laughs> oh, he's here all week. Try the veal. So, uh, I, I, I would love to hear what our community have got to say about this because um, I think it's one thing that surprised me when we talked about this and we were planning out this show was um, was I didn't I thought I was alone as somebody who sits there with pencils and paper coming up with ideas, and you both said, "Yeah, yeah, we do that," and. I remember posting a picture to Twitter where I was doing something and I had paper in the picture and, you know, a bunch of people said old school and a bunch of other people said, no, 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 no. I do this all the time too. I'd like to know whether our audience fits into that bucket. Cause I bet more people are like this than we might think. So what I found so. interesting about my 
particular usage patterns, I, I thought about them a little bit more deliberately than I normally do for this show. And I realized, so when I read a book, I almost exclusively read books on Kindle. I like yep. that I can hear about a book, order it, read it immediately. I I cannot remember, outside of a couple of books that I ordered more for the aesthetic. So like the XK, Randall Monroe wrote a book where it just lent itself to physical form. Or like yeah, there's that really yeah. cool aviary cookbook. Uh, yeah, those books, I bought book, yeah. the book. But other than the aesthetic books, you, I have not purchased it. physical artifacts. Right? It's other, art, yeah. Other than that, I can't remember the last time I bought a book to read. But... I subscribe to a bunch of magazines and don't subscribe to any of them on any digital media. I only get the physical magazine and thoroughly enjoy reading the physical magazine. So like The Economist, yeah. I get. But I, I look forward to reading it. Barron's I get, but I look forward to reading it. So I, I don't know why there's such a disconnect between books and not books mentally for me, but it's a very bright line, stark difference that I didn't fully That's appreciate until I thought about this show. Yeah. That's, so... That's I was gonna say, yeah, us. I was gonna say that's that's interesting because Eric and I were chatting the other night about this because I was just saying to her, you know, she had the same experience, but in America that I remember many fond memories as a kid, living opposite a news agents in the town in the little village that we lived in, uh, and subscribing to three or four different magazines, um, and they were primarily about video games and rock Input music. Input electron user, <laughs> <laughs> right. And the the excitement of going over to the shop to pick up my, you know, the new issue, and the yeah. smell of it. Go and get and, go and get Dragon Magazine. That, absolutely. Yeah. And going and and sitting down and just pouring through. I'd read it paid like cover to cover, and you don't yet yeah, to to the example your quote like you don't get that with computer stuff. You know, right. you um, it, it's incredibly useful, and I don't know that I'd give up having all the knowledge of the world at my fingertips just it, just to have a very 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 tiny subset of it but on paper but yep. it was nice and no, and an awful lot of people seem to feel this but it's hard to articulate yeah i think i've not found anyone who's managed to describe it in a way which seems to capture how i feel about it it's a very difficult feeling to get a handle on so yep. this is why we're interested in yeah, you know uh, the listerships thoughts. <laughs> so, um, so pick us on Slack or on the forum or whatever. Or if you want to, send us a letter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, send bad your voltage letter to PO box. Sh- yeah, show at badvoltage.org. <laughs> 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 All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, we shall wrap this up. And uh, any final words, Mister and Mrs. Langridge? No, nope. and <laughs> God say it. Made no sense whatsoever. All right. I think we're done. Such a muppet. Bye, everyone. <laughs>